This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 153. And the quote of the day is, Only fools let compliments get to their head, and criticism get to their heart. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope everybody's doing well out there. And I am uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm just banging out a bunch of podcasts today. Uh, I just did one about habit formation and released that last Thursday. So I don't know if you guys have checked that out or not. If not, check it out at drummersresource.com forward slash session 152. Now, the one thing I want to let you know about is this new app called Anchor. I talked about it on the last podcast. I'm really hot on it right now. It's amazing. It is short, like short two minute spurts of audio. So I'm creating sort of like two minute podcasts on there, which is really cool. You can just search my name on there, Nick Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I, and it's anchor.fm if you want to learn more about it, but it's really, really cool. Think about it like Snapchat and Twitter sort of combined. Uh, no video, just audio. It's, it's really hip though. So check it out, anchor.fm. Also, um, want to let you know that Drummer's Resource Pro is really kicking it up a notch. We've got a bunch of great guests that are coming. Just did a, a live seminar with Jim Riley, had the one with Brian Fraser moore and Calvin Rogers and Paul Wertico. So I urge you to become a member of Drummer's Resource po- Pro. Excuse me. It's twelve ninety nine a month. You get two live events plus all the back events and a bunch of other cool stuff like a podcast player for members only and downloadable MP3s of the seminars that we have. And you can watch the video replays and all that stuff. So check it out at drummersresourcepro.com to learn more. Now let's get into this interview. This is with Tony Thundersmith. And I met Tony at NAM a few weeks ago. We were introduced by a mutual friend, Tim Shahady, who works for Peisty. And I was talking to Tony. And we were talking about uh, about playing and actually counting 30-second notes, which we talk about in this in this interview, which is really interesting. But truthfully, was I wasn't that aware of, of Tony's body body of work. And then when we line up the interview, uh, you know, I always do my research and then I started to realize like, man, he's played with everybody. He's a Berkeley professor, but he's also played with Lou Reed. He was in Lou Reed's band until he passed recently. And he played with David Bowie and Jeff Beck and John McLaughlin and all these other people. And I was just like, man, he's such a humble guy, which I love to see. And, you know, it seems like the higher people are on the totem pole, the more humble they are. But Tony's just super, super humble, super cool, and just one of the nicest people I've ever met. So glad to have him as part of the podcast, and I'm sorry that it took so long to get him on the podcast. So without further ado, let's talk to Tony Thunder Smith. Tony, how are you, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It's great to uh, great to connect with. You. I gotta I gotta give a shout out to Tim Shahady for uh, for introducing us at Nam. So Tim, uh, Tim's actually been like sort of the the person who opened my door into opened the door for me into this industry, whatever, 15, 18 years ago, something like that, which is pretty cool. And he just keeps surfacing somehow and connects me with somebody or introduces me to somebody. So I really appreciate him. Well, Tim's a great guy, man. I mean, it's like you know, it's. Kind of a you know the go-to guy, mm-hmm. you know. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I try to include him in, you know, in everything that I do. So, you know, sometimes he can make it, sometimes he can't. But right. it's like, it's always, it's always great to, it's always great to see Tim. Yeah, agreed. So, so Tim, if you're listening, we love you, man. Thanks for everything. We love you, Tim. <laughs> so, Tony, let's talk. I'd like to get a little bit of the backstory of my guests. And for, for the people who don't know who you are, who are listening, just give a little backstory of a, a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, you know, well, I'm a drummer, so. <laughs> okay, <laughs> next question. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what I do. I'm also a professor at Berkeley. So, you know, College of Music in Boston. And I'm also a writer and a composer and, you know, pretty much a, try to diversify a lot of things that I do and that I have done through my entire career. Mm-hmm. You know, played, mm-hmm. I played a lot of different kind of musics, a lot of different kind of styles, you know, for the last uh, 17 years. It was with Lou Reed, you know, mm-hmm. up until he passed a couple of years ago. So, and... Um, you know, a lot of varied styles. Right. So, how old were you when you first started playing? Around fifteen. Oh, really? That's actually right around the same same time I did. So, where are you yeah. and where are you originally from? San Francisco, California. Oh, okay, okay. I was born in Oakland, but that was like, um, you know, so that was kind of like, uh, yeah, fifteen. So were, did you did you come up around like the the Dave Garibaldi? Uh, yeah. Mike Clark was from Oakland too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what Bay I thought. Area. Bay yeah. Area people. Yeah, we had a, um, you know, when uh, a little bit later, you know, I guess you know, I met uh, I met Dave Garibaldi because uh, I was with a group called the Loading Zone, and we were rehearsing, actually rehearsing in the same. Uh, rehearsal space that the Tower of Power was. So oh, okay. they, they were on one side, we were on the other side. And, uh, you know, so I got to know David and the Tower of Power. And, you know, David, um, matter of fact, I emailed him uh, the other day and I said he was very, you know, influ- influential in my, my career because it was like, um, you know, he basically turned me on to a teacher that he was studying with and, uh, showed me, you know, a lot of uh, linear movements. And I was mm-hmm. like, uh, I, was, I was, you know, forever grateful. And Dave, I mean, Dave has that, that stuff down, you know. Yeah, yeah. He really does. He really, I mean, his, yeah. his book, the Future Sounds book is just yeah. amazing. Yeah, you know. So the, are you guys around the same age, you and Dave? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'd never ask him, you know, how old he was and, you know, right. so. so you guys weren't friends by any means growing up or anything. You just knew each other. Well, we knew each other, you know, we knew each other professionally and, and, you know, and from, um, you know, I remember like, uh, you know, I'd sit in with the tower, you know, at, mm-hmm. uh, Keystone Berkeley, you know, I got you. I got one you. time and, you know, but they, you know, David was very influential, you know, and, um, uh, because when I left California, you know, to come out to the East Coast, um, you know, pretty much came out to uh, to play fusion music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was a lot of odd time signatures to which I hadn't, you know, I'd done a couple of odd time signatures in uh, in California, but not, uh, you're not extensive odd time signatures, you know. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Oakland style of playing, you know, made it uh, easier for me to, to, to make the odd time signatures more of a 16th note feeling mm-hmm. rather than 
stopping on the downbeat on the one all the time. And like, you know, it, it was easier for soloists to, to solo because they didn't have to start all over again. Right. So, you know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> Every time the downbeat wouldn't, then they would have to begin their solo. So, um, using this technique, I was able to, you know, to play over the bar line and make it feel like four four so you know if if you didn't know that it was an odd time signature you, you know you wouldn't be hit over the head right 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 it's funny i had this conversation uh with gary chafee about uh-huh. about playing about every other instrument out there you learn how to play odd time signatures all the time and it's not anything that's really out of the ordinary but for some reason yeah. drummers have this really weird hard time with with playing odd time signature and for the life of me can't figure out why what's your what's your take on odd time signature or how do you explain it to people uh not necessarily conceptually what it is but sort of how to just help wrap their brains around it a little better and play it so it so it feels like it's in four or it feels good it doesn't feel choppy and weird right well i mean the whole thing is is um you know, odd time is somebody's four four. You know, around the world, right? Somewhere, somebody it's like his nine. Oh, that's what we do all the time. Or it was fifteen. <laughs> yeah. You know, or thirty nine, sixteen. That's his. You know, that's, that's his, his thing. Four, right. You know. So the thing is that what you have to do is you just have to get out of like you know holding on to the one like an anchor, and mm-hmm. uh, you know the deal is a lot, is a lot of drummers. Um, we're taught. You know, we're we're taught to um, basically to, you know, accentuate the the downbeat with the cymbal and the bass drum. So we got to go like, you know, like one and two and three and boom and hit, you know. So we're so used to that when we do a fill, if like if somebody you get your first private lesson and they want to, you know, they want your parent, they want to show your parents that there's progress coming from the lesson, you know what I mean? So that they're not wasting their money. So right. they go like, you know, they go, we'll teach you, we'll teach you a beat. Boom. Ah, okay. One and three, two and four on the snare drum. Okay. Let's, we'll try to do eighth notes on the hi-hat is, you know, so, but when you do a fill, you're going to go one and two and three and four and hit the bass drum and the cymbal, the crash there. Now you have a beat. You know, and, and that's the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah. Because what happens is, is all of a sudden now it's ingrained in your head. So whatever you're now, when you're filling, everything is you're going to come down on the you're going to come down on the downbeat with the cymbal and the bass drum. So for you to play odd time signatures, you have to kind of put that around the downbeat. You know, so everything you do, all of your fills and everything are going to go around the downbeat. Right. So once you learn. You know, once you, you know, you get into independence and you four limb independence and okay, we got, we have the independence down, but you're not really, you're not really separating yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not really, you know, this is going with this, this is going with this, you know, with your, your foot, this hand goes with that foot, this hand goes with this foot. But you still, when you do a fill, you're still, you know, you're still bringing them all together to come down on the one, what you have to do. And, you know, what I got what I got into was pushing myself to the point of saying, "Okay, let's put this foot on a different rhythm. Let's put this hi hat on a, you know, put the bass foot, put the hi hat on a different rhythm. Okay, so those and then let's put the left hand and the right hand, you know, on a different rhythm. 
and let's see if we could, <laughs> you know, let's see if we could manipulate it. Right. And then, you know, and I figured I looked at, you know, at certain musicians and, and certain styles of music. And I realized I said the timbali early on, you know, the timbali player didn't have the bass drum. You know, mm-hmm. had the timbales, and when he when he was going to hit the bass drum together, then he would hit the low low timbale or the high timbale. So, but as drummers, we don't think about we don't think about augmenting that crash cymbal with anything else except for the bass drum. Mm-hmm. So you know what? Actually, what I teach up up here to some of my students is, a, you know, is playing a rhythm that goes around the downbeat. So and then filling. So when they fill and they come down on the crash, there's no bass drum there. So which is which works on a kind of balance thing. Mm-hmm. So in mm-hmm. other words, what happens is they'll get their balance a little more together. It's a universal theory because it's like everybody around the world. And I know you've probably done it, too. At some at some point, walk downstairs and thought there was another stair. Yep, and like, and then when they're walking down the stairs, they go, "Oh, you know what I mean?" It's, a, it's dangerous it's, when you think you're at the bottom and there actually is another stair, right? But you think that everybody does it around the world, and we do it when we, you know. So it's conceptually we do that when we play when we're doing a fill or we're playing with a band, and we do a fill, and all of a sudden it's a little off. You know, right. our, our our art of recovery takes a little, you know, takes a few seconds. To oh you know to now get it back together again, but if you work on certain techniques where if that happens, you know if that happens it's not a big deal. You can instantly incorporate it in what you're doing. You can you know we're we're kind of like the leaders of a band. You know mm-hmm. if you go if you have I mean like you know I hate to say this but you know you have a you have you have a great drummer, you have a great band. You have a terrible drummer. You have a terrible brand. Doesn't make a difference if everybody else is like you know, is is it's amazing. Right. It's it's like at the end of the night, they go, oh man, you know, your band could be really great, you know, if you if you got rid of the drummer, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> Everything falls on the you know falls on the drummer's shoulders. So what happens is, you have to get. It's almost like you have to get out of that philosophy of that one e into two e into three e into one. Boom. You know what I mean? Like you have to get out of that so that you're constantly going. So you don't have that. You, you, you work on your balance. You know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, I mean, in education, you should be, you know, you should basically encompass all of the different styles, but just, you know, theories of the different styles that work with you, work with you as a drummer, because when you go out to, to play drums with somebody, you know, pretty much going to ask you, okay, you know, play this. This is what I, this is what I hear. And for you to incorporate it, most of the time you're incorporating it just like this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so Up and down, just chop. Yeah. Yeah. So playing odd time signatures with, it was kind of like, I call it the, I mean, like the Oakland groove, mm-hmm. you know, um, playing odd time signatures with that was a 16th note. It was a 16th note feel. So a 16th note feel you know, for playing odd time signatures, once you realize that, oh, okay, so I can just, I can just separate that. Let me just separate everything into 16th, you know? And then once you, once you do that, you can say, okay, well, what about 32nd notes? What about, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, and then you can figure out 
how to count 30 second notes. How do you count 30 second notes? Well, you and I had this conversation at NAM. So yeah. now I know the answer, but before I didn't, and I absolutely 100% wanted to bring that up during this talk. So we might, let's talk about it now yeah. because it blew my mind and I think it's going to blow the listeners' minds too. Yeah. I mean, it was like a lot of people, I mean, I, I did a, I don't know, was it 2011, 2012? One of the, I did a, uh, um, interview for modern drummer mm -hmm. and, um, you know, one of the rich man, was the, was the person that, uh, you know, I sat with and did the interview and somehow it got around to, um, 30 second notes. And, um, I, I don't know even how it, how it happened, but, uh, my teacher, um, who passed, a I guess also a couple of years ago, his name's Sam Milano. Um, you know, he was writing up until his nineties, wow. writing, you know, writing books every morning, getting up at like four or five o'clock in the morning and writing till he taught. And he taught from, from, um, it was about from eight o'clock to like four o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, he <laughs> did this like every day and That's play. Insane. That's insane. You know, it was the red blazer on 46th street in New York. And it was like, um, but he was kind of astounded that, um, a lot of educators would go up to 30 second notes and the students, the students would ask him, well, how do you count 30 second notes? And they really wouldn't have a clue. They wouldn't have an, an idea. They would, I mean, they'd have sort of an idea, but there wasn't, wasn't really anything based on mathematics. So it wouldn't really stick. That's the, you know, mm -hmm. that's the whole thing. When you have a student, you might've had a teacher who said, well, this is how you count 30 second notes. You just put two, you know, two 16th note groupings and count them faster. But right. the problem is, you know, but the, pro the, you know, but the problem is, is what time, if you get four people in a room, you know, if you get four people in a room and they're doing that technique, what, it, what mathematics do they have to hold on to? Right. This is, you know, right. they're all going to, it'll be different, different times. If they, if they come from different parts of the world, it'll be different languages. If, you know, if, if English isn't their first language, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so, so when Sam taught me this, I thought, I just said, well, wait a minute, this is mathematically correct. It's based on one and. I mean, it's like you, you count a quarter note and you're counting two eighth notes. It's one and. You count a 16th note grouping, it's one E and a, right. you know, but it's still on there. And universally, if you go around the world and you ask somebody, how do you count a 16th note grouping? They're not even going to hesitate. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if they're a musician, they're not even going to hesitate. But you ask them, how do you count 30 second notes? Then they're going to go, um, I don't know. I even had one student say that my my uh, my teacher said um, that 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 uh, we don't come in contact with thirty second notes all the time. And I was like, <laughs> "That's a cop out." I was like, "Are you kidding me?" You know, I said, and then I just said, "It's really not his. It's really not his fault." I mean, if you if you look at it, a lot of a lot of teachers who have taught teachers didn't go there, and so therefore right. their students that became teachers didn't go there. So you know, so you got a lot of people. You get a lot of people who actually don't know how to count 30 seconds or, you know, or there's nothing logical. I'm not saying that, you know, that that what my teacher taught me was the end all. But I'm you know, but what I'm saying is that logically it works. It it works as far as timing wise. Right. And it works as far as even if you have it, you know, if English is not your first English, it's easy. It's like, you know, one anda. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, one a diddy and a diddy. One a diddy and a diddy. Right? So if you count four, one a diddy and a diddy, two a diddy and a diddy, three a diddy and a diddy, four a diddy and a diddy. See, you know? So it's like one so, so, and, you know what I mean? Right. So, but it's it's based it's it's all mathematics. So, so do me need, do me a favor. So count from count eighths and then into sixteenths and then into thirty seconds. So if I were you know if you're going one and two and three and four and one e and uh, two e and uh, three e and uh, four e and uh, one a diddy and a diddy two a diddy and a diddy three a diddy and a diddy four a diddy and a diddy. So simple. <laughs> you know what, what I mean? about what about sixty so, fourth notes? Huh? <laughs> so if you could, you could go one a diddy, one a diddy and a diddy, e a diddy and a diddy, a diddy and a diddy. So so you could. No, no, seriously, you could go. No, you no, know, no, you can't. You saw it was like one, one e and a, but right. with and you with know, the with fill, sort of like it's it's almost it almost conceptually reminds me of if you take a pattern with your right hand and then you're just filling it with the left kind of right. thing. It's right. a, like that's how I conceptually see it. Yeah, if that makes and sense, the, of just filling and it and with the, the other. About it is is when you look at a when you look at a um, for twelve years I've been in Berkeley. And mm-hmm. every time I every time I see a student, and because I'm adjudicating, I'm doing like you know at the end of the semester you have a you have an end of the semester final exam, and you always see you always see these students when you say if they're in level one you say give me a nine stroke roll, mm-hmm. give me a five stroke roll, give me a seven stroke roll, and they sit there and a lot of times you know because they have to go through the rudiments a lot of times you're they they get flustered they get flustered when they when they have to come you know like so they'll play it on their legs they'll play you know uh, a five stroke roll and he'll go like oh i know it's two strokes so here we go one two three four five and you know and then they got to translate it to this you mm-hmm. know to the snare drum and i say well wait a minute what is a what is a stroke what is you know what is the subdivision of a quarter note that you're playing and they go I have no idea, you know, and then I just say, well, okay, well, how many 32nd notes are in a quarter note? Some of them had said 16, some of them said 32, some of, you know what I mean? Because it's not there. Right. So if I say, you know, if I, if I give them that system, one a diddy and a diddy, and I say, I say it's based on one and one and two and. Mm-hmm. If you go, if you go one a did e, how many is that? And I said, you know, we start off. I said, well, okay, that's one a did d. That's four. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the and makes five. So if you're doing a five stroke roll, one a did e n. And as soon as I say like one a did e n, they go, well, wait a minute. Now, if it's if it's one a did e n, it's a five stroke roll. Then a seven stroke roll with that would be. One a diddy and a did. I said, yes. One a diddy and a did. That's your seven stroke. Right. So if that's if that's right, then what is it? What is it? Then a nine stroke is one a diddy and a diddy two. I said, you got it. And there's no more counting. There's no more counting on the legs. There's no more. It becomes mathematics. It just becomes like add addition and subtraction. And then they go, well, wait a minute. So So if I put... If I put the eight together and I put the seven together, I'd have a 15-stroke roll. 
Which, in other words, I said, yeah, sure. You'd have a 25-stroke roll. Sure. How do you do a 25-stroke roll? You know what I mean? goes, and then he goes, oh, no, I don't know. I'd have to, you know. Then he goes back to here, and I said, no, no, no. We're talking mathematics. How do we do, how do, we do a 25-stroke roll? I said, okay, if eight is one quarter note, what do you got to do then? Um, I guess I would do multiplication. I said, yeah. Right. You know, multiply <laughs> how many eights, you know, go into 24. And he goes, um, three. And I go, so what would be the next, <laughs> the next step? <laughs> the downbeat would, where would the downbeat fall on? Four. Oh God. All I'd have to do is one and two and three and four. Right. You know, so what happens is then all of the mathematics come into play and the student know the student is knowing like, you know, I'm, is, I'm either adding or subtracting or multiplying, but it's all basic math. There's no calculus. Everybody, you know, every student says I'm not good in math. You know, I didn't do good in math in school. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I said, you don't have to, this is basic math. Yeah. It's easy. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just, it's just easy. It's just, you know, what's hard is, is just trying to reach as many students, you know, so that they can feel confident you know, when they when they when they look at having to do any kind of a, you know, any kind of this stroke roll or that, you know what a stroke is, you know how to you know, you know how to count it. You don't have to do anything else but mathematically put it in your head and play it. Right. And it's not a big deal. You know. So, so how what is your advice for you learn all the mathematics, you figure all this stuff out. Now you gotta make music with it. So yeah. so what's but you can now. Right. You know, the, the, that's what I'm saying, because you're not intimidated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you take the intimidation out of out of music, you know, if you tip, you know, or any if you and I'm sure that, you know, all musicians, I mean, I know I was and I'm sure you are. It's just like, you know, you're you're hungry for information, mm-hmm. you know, and but you you have to find that to find the right people to find the right people that will give you that information. It's really difficult. And in my case, I was playing with so many like amazing people. You know, so many amazing people and my reading basically came from from uh, elementary school, you know, being in the band because I was a trumpet player. I started off with as a trumpet player. And, you know, so and because my father was a trumpet player and I figured like, you know, he would help me and like, you know, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have I didn't have the the love of it. You know, all I had was the love love of drums. So I was a good tr- I mean, you know, I played first chair and all that and you know, um <clears throat> but I'd have to write out my solo. So there was no there was no love, you know what I mean? So <laughs> right. but you know, so for drumming I had done a whole you know, like when I was I don't know, 16 16 either 16 or 17, I was, you know, I had done a uh, a record with Carlos Santana. And I had done like uh, on his on his welcome record and totally, you know, it was I, almost by I, I'd say by accident because <laughs> a friend of mine who I was playing with, who was the bassist for Carlos, was writing, <clears throat> writing a lot of, you know, things for the album, uh, you know, had had done Caravan Sarai. And, you know, we were playing together and he said, mm-hmm. hey, have you ever seen a, you know, a real recording studio? And, you know, I was like, uh, um 
Not really. I mean, I'd done some, you know, I'd done some previous records together, but they were kind of like in a small, you know, like a small space, not like, you know, CBS, like Sony kind of, you know, kind sure. of thing. Yeah. And he was there and he said, well, you know, we're recording a record, you know, I'll come down and, and, and uh, show you. So we came down and, and, um, you know, we walked in the studio, you know, and it was like huge. It's like, you know, ridiculously huge. And he says, sit down and play the drums. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? He says, he says, sit down. He says, sit down. I got a groove. I want you to play along with me while I do this. And I'm thinking, man, these are Michael Shreve's drums, man. I'm not, you know, it's like, right. it's like, I, I don't feel comfortable. You know, it's like, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm just, you know, cause you know, and then, so <clears throat> I and sat how old down. Were you? about 17 and nice. you know like you know and so so he goes like um you know like oh um no let's just play that and then one by one members of uh <clears throat> of uh the santana band came in like richard Kermode came in and started playing piano and chapito came in and started like you know started playing timbales and you know and then there was like um it was this voice in the control room or whatever coming behind the, you know, the, to me, the big glass panel. Right. right. And it goes, it goes like, uh, it goes like, do it again. And and we go like, uh, what do you, what do you mean? Do it again. You know what I mean? So he says, yeah, yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it again. So we did it like, you know, did it a couple of times. And then the voice came, you know, I was hearing him talk to somebody and it was like, he said, yeah, yeah, I think we got it. I think we got it. You know? <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. I, you know, I really, you know, I was really kind of naive, like, you know, it was like going like, you know, I was a little intimidated too. So I said, like, <clears throat> I got up, <laughs> I got up and I, and, and everyone in the band was looking at me like, where the heck are you going? And I left the studio, I left the studio and it was just like, and then two weeks later, <clears throat> Dougie, who was the bass player, called me up and he said, come down and pick up your check. And I said, what are you talking about? Come down and pick up your check. And, you know, and he said, he said, you did a session. And I said, what do you mean I did a session? You know, he said, you did a session. You did a recording session for Carlos's record. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, you're on the record. Okay. You're on his new, new record. You did a session. So I came down and I, I pick up the check and then I got, I, I looked at it and I said, wow, man, you mean it? I can get paid, you know, like paid for this thing right. like this. And I was like, I was like, Oh my God, you know, I can get paid for what I love, you know. You're like, I'm going to do this every day. <laughs> and then it was like, wow, this is what I, this is what I want to do, you know. And um, yeah, and it just kind of, it, it just kind of mushroomed. It kind of, you know, every everything just, it was just, you know, I mean, you know, it's kind of like being in the right place at the right time. Well, how come yeah. Michael wasn't there? I guess he was on his way. It was like, you know, everybody was filing in. It wasn't like, right. you know, it wasn't like. You know, they were auditioning anybody. Sure. I don't know, man. You know, so who so, was behind the glass? Was it Carlos or was it somebody else? I think it was Glenn Kalotkin and oh, Carlos okay. was like you know the, the the engineer for that. You know, and how so, big was Carlos at the time? Oh, he was huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carlos was like, I mean, he was know, Carlos Santana. <laughs> I mean, I don't think when is Carlos like you know not been huge? Never been not huge. Right, right, you know right. I mean? I mean, it's just like you know. It's like so. So Carlos was was very, 
you know, responsible for, you know, a lot of my career. I mean, he introduced me to like uh, his brother, you know, his brother had a band called Malo. They had a hit, you know, hit, hit record. I became the drummer for, for that. And then all of a sudden after, you know, after that, it was like uh, a, a band called Azteca, which was, you know, which actually was, was started by uh, Timbali players from, you know, Carlos's band, you know, Pete and Coke Escovito and which, you know, which, Pete's daughter, Sheila Escovito, was was in the band and playing, and then we became really good friends, and she turned out to be Sheila E. So it wow. was like, you know, so at that point, you know, at that point it was like um, you know, it was it was just, you know, it was just kind of on a roller coaster, man. I mean, it was it was just, you know, it was at, I was at the top, man, and going down, and and when I got back to another top, it was kind of like, well, the Mahavishnu Orchestra is breaking up. You know, and it was like, uh, oh, well, uh, Jan Hammer, who's the keyboard player with the Mahavishnu Orchestra and, and Jerry Goodman, they just recorded a record, but they're starting a band and the same bass player that had taken me to do the thing with with Carlos. He was going to be the bass player. And he said, I want you to be the drummer. And I was like, I was like, you know, <laughs> I don't know what there. I don't What does this music even sound like? And right, like right. You know, so he said, he said, forget about it here. Listen to it. Listen to it. We're doing it, you know. Nice. <laughs> and then so, you know, so I went to New York. I mean, you know, and, you know, and that's when, you know, playing that 16th note, because, the, you know, because Jan said, hey, you know, if you could play, if you could play odd time signatures with it, you know, with that 16th note feel, you know, mm -hmm. that'll be amazing. You know, if you can, you know, if you can do that. So. When I came out to New York, all we did, he had a, you know, in studio in his, in his house up at Redgate Farm. And it was just like, we just shed it, shed it all the time. Jan was a, Jan was a great drummer. Jan was a oh, great really? drummer. Yeah, Jan could play his ass off, hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, so he would like say, okay, well, check this out. This is where you need to go with it. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, not, you know, with, with you know, with equally being a phenomenal to me, you know, there's nobody that that's ever even touched, you know, him on the on the Moog, you know, or mm -hmm. like his style. Nobody. Some people have gotten close, but there's just something else, man, that kind of like it takes it to the top with him, and it's like, oh my god, you know. <laughs> I was just but, looking over. I thought I had a Mo. I thought I had my Moog coffee mug with me, but instead I uh -huh. have this regular. I just I I just was at the Moog factory actually. Uh, yeah. A few months ago, so. Yeah, I know. It was like I was, you know, it was so funny because Bob Moog would come there all the time. Oh, really? You know, we'd be, yeah, because we'd be like, we'd be working on stuff. And then, you know, Jan had the the mini Moog. Mm -hmm. And then when uh, when Bob created the, you know, the polyphonic Moog, he brought the prototype up there and was showing Jan what he could do with this and Jan. And so we'd all be in the in the room and, oh, it was like, you know. That's awesome. It was awesome. So, I mean. You know, so all of the the odd time signatures, a lot of them were, you know, they were they were formed with that kind of vision. Like here isn't, you know, here is a, is something that I want to work on. And, you know, I've written I've written an idea for a song, but it needs this groove. You know, so the sixteenth to me, the sixteenth note was the glue. That was, you know, that that just put things together. Because I mean, you know, we were doing. I mean, we did some, we did some sevens, 11s, 15s, 19s, 20s, 21s, you know, and it was like, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, 
it's 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 just like um they were to me they were so fluid you know they got to the point right. of they were so fluid that they would they're sounding like four four and when i would show somebody how that you know how that rhythm was done they would just be going you know you know I got it, man. I got, I got this rhythm. I got, I got it. I got it. And then they would do it. And I said, well, okay, but you have to displace one sixteenth note. Right. <laughs> and, and the one sixteenth note, it would be like, it'd be like, what? I said, yeah, you have to displace. It's not a big deal. You have to displace one, one sixteenth note. You have to, you know, for, for this particular, this set of rhythms, you have to count. And then I found out that, that, Drummers hate to count when they're playing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guilty. So huh? I said guilty. You know what I mean? So in other words, if they have to count and play at the same time, then they kind of like, you know, they're, it's, they just kind of lose it. And I just said, I said, look, that's what you got to work on. You got to work on, you got to work on counting when you play, because if you can count and you can break down everything, I mean, you can be fluidity, forget about it. You can just, travel it's just like you're going you know this is your whole palette you're just you're going counting you know and 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 just playing and so then when what you were you playing see, these tunes you're you're counting yeah yeah i'm everybody counts i mean you look at you know i mean you look at elvin jones elvin jones is and it's like like all of a sudden i'm like i'm sitting like i was sitting in like um I was at this place at Ronnie Scott's. Mm -hmm. I went over there because I was there. I was there because I was rehearsing with Jeff Beck. And because it was Jan. Jan was, you know, the, the Jan Hammer group had now like kind of formed an alliance. Like Jeff wanted us to go on the road, but he wanted us to be, you know, a band together. So it became right. like the Jeff Beck with the Jan Hammer group. So as I was, I was in London doing these, these rehearsals, I went to, uh, to see Elvin. And Elvin, I mean, Elvin was just... When, you know, you know, count, everybody kind of grunts when they count. I used mm -hmm. to do it. I was like, you know, but, but, you know, it was just like, you know, he had so much control. And I just said, I just said, see, everybody counts. So I'm not like the only one who's counting and putting these things together. You know, I mean, Miles and Sun Ra would be talking about like space is the place. You know, mm -hmm. you ever hear that, hear that thing? I never no. understood it. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I was like, what do you mean space is the place? And then I realized, I said, wait a minute, man. I said, you know, if you take a grouping of five and you're playing, like, you know, I was playing these, these fives. And I said, well, you know, if you, if you just take a grouping of five and now you're counting it. So once you kind of go beyond that, you're visualizing it. You know, you're able to, you know, you're counting it. So you're, it's like second nature. And then all of a sudden you're starting to visualize it. And then you're saying, well, wait a minute, I'm going to accent that note. I'm going to accent that one. You know what I mean? And you're looking at it mm -hmm. while you're, while you're going that. Okay. So, so what happens if, what happens if my foot accents that one and three, you know? Okay. So I got still thing. One, two, three, four, five, two, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. I can do, you know, I can do here. And then what happens if four, five, you know, four, five, you know, four, five, two, four, five, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, if I go backwards and I'm just now, I'm just, taking these things and seeing how they sound. And now I'm saying, okay, well, that sounded great in the Tom. How's it sound? How's it sound on the ride? Matter of fact, how's that sound on the hi-hat? Let me just put, you know, so you're now orchestrating all that stuff because you're picking and choosing the notes, but it started because 
of you counting and you mm -hmm. knowing that every one of those things were exactly where they're supposed to be and they're not going to ever change. Right. You know? That reminds me a little bit of how I practiced for years just working on jump off points. So just even if I'm just playing in four and just a groove and I would say, okay, I'm going to, I'll play, you know, whatever it is, I'll play this figure or something like that. And then I'll just start it on the E, you know, right. and then I'll stand, start it on the, uh, and then, and then inside of that, then, you know, I'll accent, if I'm accenting the second note of this, you know, I'll start on one and accent the second note and then I'll start on E and then accent the second note and then start on uh and accent. the And then so you get all of these different variations you start going through and you can, right. uh, you know, then then it, everything starts exponentially getting getting bigger and bigger. And, and there's so many more options and so many more tonal things that you can do. And that's just inside of four with one figure and just moving right. it a, a 16th note, you know. Right. Because it's like, you know, you know, you look at it as like. We're, you know, as far as, you know, the drums are our, our, you know, our palettes, all of this is the different colors. And if we can, if we can get just like an artist, if we can get all of the ducks in the row and the ducks in the row is like counting, getting mm -hmm. the counting together. So it's fluid when you're playing. So you don't, you're not, it's not a big deal for you to count and play. Like when you do the displacement, you're saying, okay, now I'm going to see what it sounds like, you know, and you, then you have a whole nother option to now, oh, I see what it sounds like, but how does it sound on this? How does it sound on this drum? You know, then you get into mm -hmm. the orchestration mm -hmm. thing. So the more that you can get involved in that, you know, the more that you can get involved in that, the more colors you come out. And I mean, it all depends on you know how large your set is. You know, I mean, right. you got a three piece, you got a three piece set, two cymbals and a hi hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got a lot of colors. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So if you go on and on and on. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, so it's a it's a really it's a really cool thing because then you're looking at you're looking at how many sounds you can get, you know, per drum. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about a snare drum, how many sounds can I get with this particular snare drum? You know? Yeah. I mean, do you ever do that? Uh, I do a lot of stuff with um, with switching between snare and timbali playing huh? playing the middle of the drum you know, letting the stick bounce on the drum, playing the, playing the rim shot with a, with a, uh, with a cross stick, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So just to, and once in a while, like putting my elbow on there or something just to try to get different, different tonal qualities out of it. Right. It's kind of cool if you do, you know, if you're doing that, like if you're recording, for, you're recording a record, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and just seeing how many different sounds, like, you know, even with the, with the snares on, you know, I'll, I'll be basically in the center of the snare drum with the snares on. I'll go to like near the edge of the of the snare drum and then start working in and seeing how many different drums, you know. I mean, seriously, yeah, all yeah, of a sudden, yeah. you've got you've got so many different drums with still I mean, the snares are on and everything, you know, not even, you know, attempting the timbali sounds yet. Right. But, you know, like and then when you're doing a record, when you're doing it, when you're recording all these, it sounds like, man, you know. If you get it down, man, it sounds like you have four or five different snare drums. And it's yeah. just like, you know, it's such a cool thing. If you if you if you got that sound, you split all those you split all those sounds like in the control room. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's amazing. It is but, amazing. It is. You know, but the thing is, is we have so much, you know, as drummers, we have so much to work with. It's like, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of having you know, more than one snare drum in my setup. I'm guilty. Of, you know, it's like, <laughs> I think I used to have like 
you know, like when I go online and I go to YouTube and, and, uh, you know, and I see myself like way back when, and I see like that I had like maybe 17 symbols and I had like, you know, um, what did I have? Three, three floor toms, three snare drums on the, on the side and, you know, five rack tom toms going not this way, but going <laughs> from up to down. Yeah, the wave, like, the wave of toms. Yeah, yeah, with an electronic setup, man. I remember there was this one. Um, you know, I used to play with an artist in France, and his, his name was Serge Gensborg, and he was just like, he was like God in France. He was like, you know, he had five hundred. Uh, 500 artists had covered his music and he, you know, they celebrate his, his uh, birth and death like every single year. He's wow. been dead. He died like 20 years ago. And, you know, and I mean, he was like, you know, he was such, he was an amazing, an, an, an amazing, amazing artist. I mean, you know, Stevie Wonder had done some of his tunes and it was like, you know, it was such a generous, generous and, and uh, you know, I mean, it was a, you know, beyond, you know, you know, I mean, he's a friggin' billionaire, but I mean, it was like, but you know, but I mean, it was just like, you wouldn't ever know it. You know, he got, you know, he comes up to me and we're rehearsing and we've got like, uh, you know, um, the horns, you know, the horns from uh, like from Sirius David Bowie's Sirius Moonlight Tour. We've got like, you know, Southside Johnny, the guy, guy is, he's the musical director. We got, you know, we had the the uh, background singers from Roberta Flack. And I mean, it was so nice. diverse, you know, and the bass player was also had, you know, played with with David Bowie. And it was like it was so, you know, so bizarre. But he came up to me in rehearsal and he said, look, he said, Tony, I said, yes, he says, I am famous. I am very famous. <laughs> I, said, I said, I said, man, I said, that doesn't bother. That's all right with me, man. It's cool. You know, he said, no, 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 you don't know. I am famous. And I, <laughs> I said, you know, I said, they don't know me in America, but, but, but in Europe, in France, I am famous. And I said, I said Serge, it's, it's really good, man. I love your music. That's, that's why I'm here. I mean, you know, right. I mean, I heard your music on a cassette tape and I wanted a copy of it and I, you know, and I played it every day because I loved it. You know, it's not to like, you know, and matter of fact, I didn't even know I was going to get called to do this gig. I just heard oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, I heard it because it was a kind of a last minute thing. And, you know, all of a sudden he said, Tony, man, there's a spot, man, you know, because I was only like two, three blocks from the, you know, from where they were holding auditions, I came in and played and in about like, uh, I don't know, we did like about three songs and I got off the drums and headed to the door and the, and the musical director said, you got the gig if you want it. And I nice. said, I said, wow. And so I said, Serge, I said, man, I love your music. It's not like, you know, it's not like I know that you're famous and there's a desire to work with you. It's just that I love your music. And so when we got to when we got to Paris, we we were rehearsing and we were driving into driving into into in you know back into Paris, and he had the bus stop. He had the bus stop on the highway. You know, now, you can imagine during rush hour, cars and everything driving, driving, trying to get home, man. Right. So he has the bus stop on the freeway. You know, and then he open. He says, "Open the door." Now. This is the middle of traffic. Traffic's still going. And he has the he has it open and he goes, he go, you know, and and so he gets ready. He looks around, looks to see if there's any cars coming. He steps out of the he steps out of the bus. 
like on the on the highway, right? <laughs> Steps out of the bus, cars are coming, and he calls me. He calls me to come, you know, to come. And I'm like, get back in the bus. Get back in the bus. We're all gonna get killed. We're gonna be killed. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, oh, Tony, come on. So all of a sudden, here are these people. They stop the car, and they don't know what's going on. A lot of them are going to their trunks to get their tire iron or whatever to, <laughs> to, right, right. to come. And they're get, as they get closer and closer and closer to us, I'm saying, we're going to be killed. Oh, my God, I'm going to be killed. And and they get closer. And then one one of them, you know, spots that it's Monsieur Gansborg. And he goes, he goes, oh, my God. It's Michelle Gunsburg, Michelle Gunsburg, and they run back to their cars. They run back to their cars, and they run with they. They now they're running up with pads, you know, pens for autographs, t-shirts, anything for autographs, man. You know, and it's like he's sitting, you know, and he's signing, and he's like, you know, and they don't have. I mean, everything. They're they're they, you know they're going like this. Sign my dress. Sign my this. I don't have anything. You know, here's the pen. You know. And so Serge is going, Tony, sign, sign. <laughs> I'm signing. And then he turns over to me and he goes, he goes, see, I told you I'm famous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just like, I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Got it. We got back on the bus. I was just going, Serge, man, I love you, man. But don't ever do that again. It's pretty awesome, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but he was a, he was an awesome, you know, he was, he was an amazing Really, you know, he was a genius. I mean, the guy was not only, you know, he was like when when you say like, you know, master jack of all trades and master of none. Mm-hmm. This guy was master of all of them. I mean, he had written, you know, he had photographed, written articles for different magazines that were current. Everything, you know, everything was out. You know, he was a he was a director. He was an actor. You know, I mean, he he had written. I mean, really, if you got five hundred artists that cover your songs and they're covering like. You know, these are major artists and they're covering like five and six of your songs at a time. I mean, it's just like it's absolutely absurd. He That's would go nuts. to like, you know, he'd go to out to the restaurant and he'd go with a, you know, then it was funny. He'd go with like a briefcase. Briefcase would be loaded. He would just pay <laughs> pay you know pay for the dinner with with cash pay for the like give like exorbitant tips to the you know to the help and stuff like that it was just like he was just so generous he was everybody loved him it was just it, you know it, it's it's it, it just is unexplainable i mean you can't just explain That's how nuts. he you know how he was yeah so you know god bless him i mean it was you know they celebrate his his life every every march the crazy have, thing is like i've never even heard of him I know there's a there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot, you know, a lot of what of people who never heard of him. There's a big song. It's like Harley Davidson, son of a bitch. And it's like um, it's, co- you know, covered by a lot of, you know, a lot of rock bands. And that's, you know, they they didn't even know that, you know, that Surge did it. I mean, you know, it's like and so generous. I mean, we did um, uh, the, uh, a theater called The Zenith where Prince does, you know, in France. It's like a huge, like, you know, 100,000 seater. I mean, it's like, you know, well, they don't sit, they stand. Right. So, you know, and we did there and he's so generous. I took this solo that was like forever. Hmm. <laughs> it was like, more, Tony, more, you know. It was like, <laughs> and it's on, it's on YouTube, but it's like with my my funny hair that goes up and oh, goes like that and I have these glasses that, you know, mm-hmm. that up, you know, but, uh, you know, yeah, it was like, uh, he was, he was one in a million. I mean, you know, been very fortunate. And then Lou Reed for, you know, like I say, 17 years and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, David Bowie for like, you know, we did a bit of song together. 
called Hop Frog. But uh, yeah, man, it's been very cool. That's, that's amazing. Berkeley. Let's take a quick minute to thank the sponsors who make this podcast free for every one of the listeners. First one is DW Drums, and as you know, I've been playing DW for years. I love the company, I love the drums, and I love what they're about. They just support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. So big thank you to them. Be sure to thank them as well on social media. And the other sponsor is Dream Symbols. And Dream Symbols are different than most of the other symbol companies out there, or all of the other symbol companies out there, I should say, because... They have one main purpose, and that is to make high-quality cymbals and gongs and then make them and price them at a price that is well below everyone else's. So they're made for the professional, but they're priced for everyone so that everyone can afford them. And they have this new ignition package, and that is the main thing that they want to do with this ignition package is sell the highest quality cymbals they can at the lowest possible price. So check them out at dreamsymbols.com and check out the ignition packs because they will truly inspire you to start your engine. Now let's get back to it with Tony Smith. I heard the the story about how about you getting the Lou Reed gig. I guess they called you and were like, "Hey man, come on down." And you're like, "All right, I'll take the train." And they're like, "No, we already bought you a ticket." Oh yeah, yeah. No, I was um, and really funny. I was in Boston. You know, I was in Boston, and it was Fourth of July, and um, you know, I always like I, you know, it's kind of a thing. I always tell my students. I say, "Look, if somebody says, you know, will you do this?" You know. Where you do this gig and, you know, and there's no money involved, you know, I mean, you know, kind of, you know, don't like, in other words, well, I can't do this because, you know, I'm worth, you know, forget about what you're worth. Let other people, you know, tell you what you're worth when they give you, when they give you the fat check. Right. Right. You know, just, just. Yeah. You can say I make a thousand dollars an hour, but if nobody's paying you that, then. Yeah. Yeah. Just go out there. And if it, you know, somebody who's, who's really good and, you know, just, you know, just give of yourself, you know. And so, um, you, I was, you know, like I said, I was out on the 4th of July and I get a call from, uh, you know, engineer and it's, you know, who I had, I had done a, uh, a record for him, you know, no money. And, you know, I mean, other than transportation. And he says like, you know, can you, can you do an electronics record? You know? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I've been doing electronics since, since 86. It's like, you know. I'll bring a, you know, I'll bring a dual zones pad down and I'll bring a, you know, I'll bring a brain. So I did all of the, you know, all of the the electronic drums in the control room. And then I did the cymbals out in the, in the, uh, the live room, mm-hmm. mixed it together, mm-hmm. sounded great. The, you know, the, the, the folk records, you know, got a claim. So he's calls me at, um, in Boston on 4th of July and says, Hey, you know, I need you to come down here. I need you to, can you, you know, can you help me out? You know, and I just said, sure. You know, what, you know, what, what, it, what's, and then it, all of a sudden the phone just gets pulled from him. <laughs> phone gets, you know, it's like, well, what, what, cause I, you know, it was kind of vague a little bit. And, and then I get this voice and it's like, hello. I say, I say, yes, yes. Uh, this is Tony. Yes, yes. This is, the, uh, yes, hello. Who is, well, this is Lou Reed. Steve's been telling me that you're the man to call. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, so, so we need you down here. You know, I said, I said, well, I could, I could, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at a barbecue now. It's like, you know, I can, I can, you know, catch a train. No, 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 no. 
you, you jump into a cab, you know, go to the airport. There'll be a ticket waiting for you at the at the airport. And you can, you know, you get on the plane. There'll be a car with a, a guy will have your name on a, on a placard. He'll bring you to the studio. I need you down here now. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. And that was the end of the story. That was it. That was it. That's, mean, that's rock and roll right there. <laughs> that was it. I had to look at my wife and she goes, who was that? I said, I said, I said, honey, that was Lou Reed. He needs me down there now. And, and she said, what do you mean now? I said, now. So, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know. <laughs> like, here's the other half of my burger. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm going now and I'll call you. I'll call you this evening. And it was, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just, a, it was absolutely amazing. It was just, you never know what's, I mean, and here is from the recommendation from, you know, the person that I had just said, okay, sure. I'll just come and do the, do the thing. But, you know, it turned, it, it's just, it's just an amazing turn of feet, like, you know, right. what, what happens in this industry. Well, who was you playing know? drums for him at the time? Um, I forget, you know, I, yeah. I forget who was doing it, but the, but what it was, was the drummer, the drummer who was doing it, um, um, was asked, Lou had in mind, he wanted to do, he wanted to do uh, a recording studio in his, his, you know, he lived in the penthouse, you know, and uh, it was an amazing place, but he wanted to put a studio up there and he didn't want to really have real drums. He wanted to have electronic mm -hmm. drums. So he had gotten electronic drums. He had gotten like uh, somebody who was familiar with sampling and doing the whole thing. And so the drummer that he, that he was with, that it, you know, was playing with him, said that he knew how to do electronic drums and said that, you know, said that, you know, he could, he could, well, whenever they get it ready to get a track, um, you know, and Lou told me later, he's, you know, he spent many months sampling and getting it all together. And whenever they were trying to get a track together, um, you know, there would be something wrong, you know, like right, in right, other words, right. there's a delay. And of course Lou would say, well, you know, you know, the electronic drums. So it's like, you know, why is there a delay? You know, how can we fix it? You know? Mm -hmm. And he really, he really wasn't that sure. So Lou kind of got a feeling, you know, he's a great drummer, great acoustic drummer, you know, but he just didn't know about the electronics, right, right, you know, right. and Lou was kind of running, you know, running out of time and, you know, had to deliver a record and you know what I mean? So sure, it was kind sure. of like, well, you know, well, you know, I, I don't know if we'll, you know, if we'll, we might work on some other projects, you know, it was great, but you know, I got to find somebody who really knows how to do this. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, um, I can find somebody who knows how to do this and can hook it all up and you can play, you know, you can play the drums and we, we can do that. We can, we can do that too. I'm, I'm sure that that was, must've, you know, must've come up. But when I came in, when I came in, I saw the bass player, I saw the, the bass player that I've been working with for like, you know, Jan and, and, and John McLaughlin, right. you know what I mean? Who I reckon, you know, it was like, cause when I left Jan, I went to go work with John McLaughlin and John said, well, you know, who do you want as a bass player? And I said, well, Fernando Saunders, cause we've been working with Jan and he says, sure. So when I came into Lou and saw like Fernando there and I just, Oh dude. And so Lou was, you know, each other. You know, and Fernando said, hell yeah, that's Tony, you know. So so then, you know, he said, he said, sit down, you know, and he and uh, and I sat on these electronic drums and 
you know, I started, you know, he says, he says, he says, I want you to play to this. And I don't know, I mean, how they sound. I mean, I didn't mean, I just turned them on, you know what I mean? And so, so, you know, I'm playing and I played to, I played to, I forget the song that he, you know, he had me play to, but, you know, it was just, it was just, the song was right up my alley. You know, you ever, you ever do that when you hear something, yeah, yeah. Yep. it's like, that's me. You know what I mean? And so, so you play it. So two minutes later, he shut, you know, he shut the thing off and he said, everybody out. He said, you know, and, and everybody didn't know what to, you know, really know what to do. He said, he said, and he pointed at me, he said, that's the kind of playing I like. And then so, so, you know, he says, what do you want? You know, what do you, what do you want? And I said, I don't know where, where are you sending everybody? He says like, they're all going out for coffee. What do you want? I says, oh, I'll just, a real, you know, like a regular black coffee. It'll be, you know, it'll be fun. And so then he asked me a question. He says, well, you know, he goes, um, well, when you when you were playing these drums, have you ever heard of like a delay? And I said, I said, yeah, it's a millisecond delay. I mean, all you have to do is just you know, it's just you adjust the you know, adjust the tracking on this, you know. So it's like, where is you know, was it you know, was the sample truncated? Was it like you know, it's right, kind of right. like you know, I kind of got into it. He went like this. He said, everybody out, you're coming with me, and we came. We went on the we went on out on the 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 terrace, and we started talking business. I mean, he was, I didn't been in there two minutes. He was like. I mean, we're talking 24, I want you 24 seven. I want you to do this. We're going to do. And I'm like, it's really funny. Most of the thing, most of the stuff in my life happens that way. It's, right. it's really, it's really kind of, it's really kind of funny. You know? I mean, so. and you've played with so many people, man, just like, I just going through the list of all the people that you played with. I mean, just, you know, we were just talking about Lou Reed, obviously, and McLaughlin and, and who, I mean, you played with Bowie. You, I mean, geez, you've, Played yeah. a lot of cats. Bowie was lucky, man. I mean, like, because you know, we were doing we were doing the Raven, which was Lou's album, and mm -hmm. you know, David <clears throat> David was going to be the you know the singer on that. So it just you know it was kind of kind of happenstance. I'd always wanted to play with uh, with with David, and you know, because I did a the musical director for David Bowie. I did his Carlos Alomar. I did his solo album. You know, it's kind of like, oh man, come on, come on, man! I want to play with David. You know? <laughs> you're the musical director. Hire me. <laughs> Let's go. Why, why am I here on your, you know, your thing? So, yeah. but you know, I mean, but but I've you know, yeah, I've been blessed, man. I mean, you know, um, you know, I I play, you know, playing with so many great people. You know, I mean, you know, playing with David Sanborn when you know, I mean, Hiram Bullock was in the band and touring with you know, touring with them, and you know, it's just. It's just, you know, it's, I love this, <laughs> you know, you, you love, love what you do. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I always say, you know, I love what I do. I just, you know, I want to continually do it and I want to continually learn more about it, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. so but, if, uh, if you could give advice for people who, who want to do what you do, what, what would it be? Don't give up, you know, first of all, don't give up and look at all of the things that, uh, you know, look at all of the things that are in your life that, you know, that, you know, when you think of like you know, things that are negative, when you think of your parents, you know, going to you and saying, you know, um, you need an education, you need something to fall back on, you know, you, you, being a musician is rough, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money, it, you know, this is all fire. This is kind of, you know, all fire. I had to do that my entire life. I mean, my mother was a, you know, was a school teacher that became like, you know, 
in administration and became head of the counseling department. My father, who was like an amazing trumpet player who played first chair for everybody, like Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett. It was like, you know, wow. and, you know, I mean, he would be, but still like, this is a hard life. You're not, you know, when he was out in the, 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 the East coast, you know, he was playing with Benny Goodman, you know? And mm -hmm. so, you know, and then when he went back, he became an educator and oh, you have something to fall back on. But I was like, you know, I just said, look, man, I love this. I love what I'm doing. And I think, you know, everything that, that gives you fire, all the negativity or, you know, things like that, you have to keep going. I mean, I had a, I had a guy when I was 15, which gave me a lot of, you know, a lot of to, to go. If I, if I hadn't had that, I probably wouldn't have, you know, when they had the, the Carlos thing, wouldn't have gone on, wouldn't have gone on. The guy was a blues player, you know, Albert Collins, amazing blues, amazing blues player. I went to like a, a, a basically a, a jam at, um, this place called the family dog by the, you know, by the beach and with all the, that's totally gone now, but it, you know, it was a, it was a place that, uh, had all the rides. It was like six flags, but it was like, you know, in, in San Francisco right. and it place was like a hippie thing, like the family dog and like, uh, you know, went there to jam. And I thought I was, I thought I was hot, man. <laughs> I'm kidding. You know what I mean? I know how to play drums. Guy turned around he grabbed my sticks. He said, you know, he gave me a look. I said, Oh man, he gave me a look. You know, that's Albert King gave me a look. And so, so uh, then he turns around, he gives my sticks back and he says, son, I think you need to go home and practice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in front of 500 people. You know, I sneak to the back, to the back door. I run down the beach, run all the way home, crying and swearing. Like, <laughs> it wouldn't be like you know, I'm going to get you. you. You tell me I, I got to, I'm going to bury you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with you when I get good. You know what I mean? And I was like, <laughs> And I kept, you know, and that was kind of the fire when I look back on it, you know, and, and, and realize that, that he's no longer on the planet and, you know, and then look at videos of Albert King, man, you know, he had all the right in the world to tell me this, this, yeah. this guy is absolutely amazing. I mean, he was so amazing. And, you know, and I think, you know, and I, I tell, I tell the story a lot. Cause I say, I thank my lucky stars for Albert, right. <laughs> you know, Al Collins, man, Albert Collins was you know, was the fire, you know, so you have to think about all the people that are, you know, that, that, that say, you're not going to make it, you're not going to do this, you know, um, think about them as, as impetus for your, your career, because mm -hmm. you can always look back on them and then you can say, oh, that's what they meant. Oh, okay. That's where that was coming from. But you just have to stick with it. If you give up, how many times have you run into run into to, to drummers or other friends of yours that say, oh, I used to play drums or yeah. I used to play this? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I wish that I had stuck with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wish that I'd stuck with it. I could have, you know, I could have maybe, you know, I said, everybody, everybody needs music in their life. I mean, that's fulfilling, you know, and it's like my wife said to me like a long time ago, you know, and I. I thank my wife for a, for a whole bunch of inspiration. But, you know, but she said, look, it doesn't make a difference when you get on the train. It's that you get on the train. Right. You know, and mm -hmm. I was like, you know, and because that's 
that's what helped me find Sam Ulano. I said, I need, you know, I need somebody that, you know, that scares, you know, that scares me, but I don't know if, you know, if I can, if I can go in and take lessons at this, at this stage, mm -hmm. you know, and then she made that statement and I was like, sure, you know, you're absolutely right. If it wasn't for that statement, if it wasn't for finding Sam Ulano and, you know, and learning how to count 30, <laughs> 30 counts, I wouldn't have been here at Berkeley. I, yeah. two, you know, there, there would be no way. I mean, how could I teach students how to read if I couldn't? How could I, you know, you know, like, how could I say about confidence if I didn't have any? It was right, like, you know, because right, right. at one point, at one point, there's going to be a thing where, <clears throat> where, you know, where with me, it was like I was in New York and I'm doing all these records and my, you know, big, it's like, you know, you know, look at me. Oh, yeah. Tony, oh, Tony's always going to do this record. I was going to do. And, you know, they'd asked me to do a Broadway show. <clears throat> right. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> you asked me to do a Broadway show. If I couldn't read, I'd have to say, "Oh no, no, I'm on. I'm gonna be on. Um, I'm gonna be on tour. Uh, I I won't be able to do that. I won't be able to do." That. <laughs> and all of that lost income. If you've got a family, if you're married like that, it's just flying out of the door. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. So, so if I hadn't at that point, my wife hadn't said that. I hadn't found I hadn't found son Sam. I wouldn't be able to say, "Okay, sure, let me do Mamma Mia." You know, go. I'll sup for Mamma Mia. Mm -hmm. I'll sup for cats. You know what I mean? And I did that. So it was like, you know, but that's that's confidence, knowing that if you get a call to do something, you can go and do it. If you're not right for it, because in other words, it, it you can't, you know, as a drummer, as a musician, every audition isn't yours. You know what I mean? Right. But right. what is yours is nobody else's. But if you can't even get in the race because you don't. You don't have that those ammunitions to put in your pocket, then, you know, really you're killing yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, so anyway, the advice is definitely to stick stick with it and learn. You know, and don't be afraid to learn how to read. Don't be, you know, I mean, you need to learn how to read. Yeah, you definitely need to do that. And everything in your life is either if you need to get a you know like a straight gig. If you need to get anything like that, think about it as a means to an end mm -hmm. because, you know, to support yourself, to do the music, because you are going to diversify. If somebody asks you to do something, especially if somebody asks you to do something that you have no idea how to do, say yes. Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> yeah, figure it out, you know. Yep. Baptism, baptism by fire. So, yeah. so speaking of, of learning, do you, outside of Berkeley, do you teach uh, private lessons? Like, or do you teach Skype lessons or anything like that if people wanted to reach out to you? Well, you know what? I haven't done any, you know, haven't done any, any Skype lessons, mm -hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> I've done, you know, I do do private lessons, um, you know, so that's not to say that, you know, now that I'm talking to you on Skype, that's not to say that I won't do, do Skype lessons. I did mm -hmm. a form of Skype lessons um, when I go on, you know, when I go on tour and that's basically to expose a lot of this, a lot of the students here about, you know, being on tour, set up sound checks and stuff like that. And if, um, if a student needs to know, you know, like a figure, like in other words, I'll, I'll email him and he can print it out and then I can go through it with him. Like, well, actually, I guess I have, I haven't, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> not if you haven't officially opened up your, your lessons, but <laughs> I haven't officially done that because, you know, I've been so involved in designing 
a new new curriculum for for Berkeley, um, and that uh, you know that's that's taken about a year and a half because I I wrote it in uh, summer of 2014, presented it in the fall of 2014, started teaching it here in the you know and uh, uh, spring 2015, fall of 2015, and now it's an official class. So I'm teaching it now, and I'll be you know I'll be teaching it in the summertime. Oh, and what's we'll the, what class is it? It's called a self-produced drummer, and um, what it's about with you know with the you know in today's world, it's like you get a track and somebody says, "Hey, I want you to put drums on it," and you got to think about, well, I got to go to a studio, you know, I got to go to a studio, I got to put this, I can find a cheap studio for this. If you don't have an you know if you don't have an in-home studio, but I mean when you go and find a, a cheap studio, you know the setup time. You know, that's going to be one hour rate. So even if it was like twenty five dollars an hour, you know, and you 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 get it all together in like, you know, six hours. I mean, with with bang, basically saying two hours of setup time and engineers and all that, you know, it's one hundred and fifty dollars. Now, what happens if the guy's only paying you 50? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you already you're, you already lost a hundred bucks, right. you know. And what happens if the guy wants to make changes and says, "Oh, I love everything, but can you change the bridge?" You got to go back in again. You're like so and pay far again. Cool. You know what I mean? So what this is is this is kind of empowering all, all the the drummers that are in the, in the class, of course, um, to learn what mics to use, what interfaces to use. Um, you know, here's how to approach this particular track. Here's how to approach this particular track, and that becomes their assignments. And what I've set up with 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 Berkeley, I mean, Berkeley is basically set up a room at at uh, one of the uh, uh, rehearsal studio rehearsal studios that they have, and it's only for my class. So what happens is it's set up with drums. It's like all you have to do is bring your ID for a student. You bring your ID, and you can get the mics. You can get the the interface. You bring your computer. You know, you can if you want, or you can change the symbols. But everything's there. Sweet. So, you know, and you have a two hour block per week. And if if nobody is there, you can get together. You can expand the hours like both of you can, you know, can, can one person can be the engineer. But what happens is, you know how the drill is, you know, exactly what mic can do what, you know, and then I show them different kind of, you know, different miking techniques, what you can do with, you know, with seven mics or five mics or one mic or, you know, like right. how you can how you can arrange that. And hopefully the goal is, is that by the end of the class, you know, each student will have their portable, you know, will know how to have their portable studio with them. You know, they'll know exactly. You know, instead of like the flavor of the week, you know, interface. Oh, I got to get this interface. This, right. Dad, mom, I need $5,000. And I'm saying, dude, try to see if this interface was made before so that there's a used one that's exactly like it, except it's not that color. You know right. what I mean? Right. <laughs> try to find, you know, try to find something like that. So it's been actually pretty successful because every at the end of the at the end of the class, there's. You know, I kind of make a contest, you know, the first the first semester, the bare naked ladies, you know, bare naked ladies had a single out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the keyboard player, keyboard player and I do a lot of work together, I used to play with Lou. So, you know, so all of a sudden I said, OK, well, you you um, you play the drums on on this particular thing. You guys are going to play the drums. I'm going to send it to the bare naked ladies. They're going to like judge who's going to get the best grade. Nice. And. 
and the person that does best grade will get, you know, backstage passes, all access, you know, all access to the concert when they play in Boston. Boom. So that was that was here. Then the other one last semester was, OK, well, Herbie, you know, here's another friend of mine who, you know, <laughs> did Herbie's record. You know what I mean? So so I want you to play along. I want you to play along on this one particular song. And and then I'm going to have the producer of that particular song grade you. He's going to give his comments. So you get you get real world real comments. World. Yeah. You know? And you don't get like, you know, hey, man, I think that was really cool. So my goal is to and that's kind of to introduce them to the real world, too. It's mm -hmm. kind of like saying, hey, look, what happens if, you know, if the person that I say, listen to these particular drummers, you know, you could probably say, hey, that drummer's really good, you know. Let me keep, you know, keep his email and I'll keep him on file yeah. for this particular thing. So it's kind of, you know, I all, always say if you're going to school, like especially if you're going to Berkeley, when you graduate, you need to, if you're not interning, you need to have some connection for the outside because it's a lot of money, man. I mean, yeah, to, yeah. to go to Berkeley. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I'm kind of paying it forward. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know. So if people want to connect with you on, on social media, what, what's the best way to do, or are you on social media? Is that the best way to connect with you? Yeah. I mean, I have like Tony Thundersmith, like, uh, the, you know, my Facebook fan page. Mm -hmm. I, uh, <laughs> I'm rebuilding, rebuilding my, uh, I used to have Tony Thundersmith.com, but now it's, it is turned into somehow one of those little spy bots came oh, on it. Oh no. Right. And it took it as now it's a it's a camera company in in China. Of course. <laughs> so so you know there's always there's always Tony Thundersmith you know dot org, but you know but now I'm redoing it because the guy that did my original site he's the um, he's the animator for the Transformers the Transformers oh, nice. series. And so yeah, so he did the you know so so he just said look forget it we'll do you we'll do another site it'll be fine so that's kind of under construction so if you oh. want to reach me um, you know always at at uh, Tony Thundersmith the fan, my fan page my email is ttsmith at berkeley edu I mean anybody awesome. wants to reach out that's you know and I'll totally for all of the podcasts the listeners know there's show notes for uh, for every podcast that I do so all uh -huh. of your all of your information will be listed in there and for ways that they can get in touch with you uh, as well as all the stuff that that we talk about in this uh, in this interview so uh, I mean they you know, they can Facebook it too it's it's, it's you know it's kind of the same because it's a Facebook fan page right, right. so if they if they have Facebook they just you know I get a, get a lot of people like from Facebook too I dig amazing. It. <laughs> Good deal, man. Well, Tony, thank you so much for, for taking all this time to chat with me. I know you've been extremely busy lately. So uh, I just want to say for me, uh, congratulations on all the success that you've had. I can see why you've had so much success uh, because you're not only an amazing drummer, but just an awesome human. So thank you for, for being part of this podcast, man. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you, too. It's been a pleasure doing it, man. Absolutely, man. Anytime. You hooked me up, man. <laughs> and uh, again, thanks to uh, thanks to thanks to Tim Shahidi for for connecting us. So, yeah, yeah. We love you, Tim. <laughs> All righty, Tony. Thank you again so much. I appreciate it over there, too. What's that? You should have Kelly Peisty on here, too. Man. I would love to. I would love Get to. The family. In yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you, man. Thank you so much. Okay, now. All right. Bye-bye.
So there you have it, Tony Thundersmith. I hope you enjoyed that. Also, I'm going to be doing more of these Ask Rafini episodes, and I want you to submit your questions through Anchor because I want everybody to get on there because it's a really cool platform. So just search for me, Nick Rafini, and then submit your questions on there to get them answered on the podcast. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.